Here and Now by Ellergast Chapter 3 The familiar call did not reach him until hours later. As he sat gazing at his little white Japanese pine bonsai, he had not trusted Neil's threat to be entirely empty and covertly moved it into the safety of his bedroom. He felt the warm tickle at the back of his mind that he thought was lost to him forever. A day ago, even a few hours ago, he would have been overjoyed to feel his prince's call. But now he knew exactly who and where his prince was, knew a little more of the context, and he was concerned. Why, after so many months of silence, could he suddenly sense it again? And why now? He thought of the state in which he had left Mamoru, emotionally and physically exhausted, shocked, frightened. It was not unreasonable for him to turn to his lost guardians at this time, as he once did whenever he needed counsel. But calling him now, calling them now, as the realm of the living world pulled them further and further from their former wrestles, must have required a great deal of energy on his part, more than he should have been exerting after such an ordeal. His last attempt at answering Endymion's call had been disastrous. He had thought that nothing could keep him from his prince, but the threat of never meeting him in the flesh, instead of as a ghost in a rock, eventually made even Cain resist answering. Soon after, the call stopped coming, and he did not know whether to be relieved that the option was taken out of his hands, or saddened that his last tenuous connection with his prince had been lost. Cain had made a promise not to use his stone again. It was a promise requested in earnest, from friends who saw he had reached his limit, and did not want to know what would happen if he passed that limit. He had no intention of breaking it, but now he also had no intention of ignoring Endymion's, Mamoru's, call. He had summoned Kunzite. Kunzite he would have. Teleporting into another person's residence was once considered the very height of rudeness. Doing it now, when others knew nothing of the skill, was additionally both awkward and dangerous, risking jumping into a situation that was uncomfortable for all parties involved. But tonight was not a night for protocol, not even for Cain. With a final glance at his bonsai, he jumped. The call. The summons from his prince, only a faint tickle, in the back of his mind before he teleported, exploded suddenly against the walls of his skull. It had been a welcome, even pleasant sensation. Now it tore at the sinews of his brain. Cain had barely registered the new floor beneath his feet before he collapsed in blinding pain, white gold light burning at every one of his senses. And Demion was calling him with all the power that it took to summon Kunzite's soul from across the world, from across dimensions, from out of the afterlife. But his soul was no longer a distant echo floating in darkness, nor was it thousands of miles away. It was here, in Mamoru's room, and the sheer force of Endymion's will was going to rip it from his guardian's skull to his stone, whether Cain wanted him to or not. He couldn't breathe. He had stopped breathing last time, the time when it got too scary and he woke up with paramedics snapping orders over his head. Sending his soul across the ocean, all that tearing it out and shoving it back in again, had been signaling to his body that he did not ne really need to be alive anymore. He didn't need to keep breathing, not if his soul was safely tucked back in the delicately cut stone that bore his name. But that was not how it was supposed to happen. He had made the choice to come back to this life, despite all the demons he had to face, and despite how much it hurt to keep breathing sometimes, because he had a duty to fulfill. Blind, choking, 
Kane dragged himself across the floor toward the source of the pounding in his head. He groped desperately over the carpet, fighting against the fear and panic as his fingertips turned numb. Rough carpet was interrupted by soft denim. Roughly, he fumbled for the cuff of a pant leg, tugging as hard as his quickly weakening arm would allow. His hand clasped around a warm ankle, and desperately he hoped that the skin contact would be enough for Endymion to sense his presence. "'I'm here!' he screamed voicelessly. "'My prince, I'm here!' Darkness flooded his vision so fast that Cain was certain he was losing consciousness. His chest was on fire, and it took him a moment to realize that this was because he was desperately sucking in air. He lay on his back, his chest heaving, spots popping open before his eyes. Slowly, he realized that there was a ceiling above him, that he was seeing through the ordinary darkness of night. The tidal wave of power that had been rolling over him had slowed to a trickle. He had not let go. Still coughing, every breath feeling like sandpaper in his lungs, Cain rolled over and pushed himself up on his knees. Mamoru lay on his side, clutching something close to his chest. Cain scrambled to him. "'What are you doing? I told you to rest!' His eyes were blue slits beneath dark lashes, gazing into some unseen distance. Cain tried to force his voice to speak above a hoarse whisper. "'Mamoru, wake up. You need to stop.' He shook him roughly to no response. He did not need to see what was so tightly clenched in his prince's fist. The pink stone, once his prison, then his final connection with Endymion, was still faintly calling him, enticing his soul to join with it again, to abandon his physical form and live as a ghost haunting his prince's life. He could pry the piece of kunzite from his fingers, but would that hurt Momoru? Would it kill Cain? Did he care? The prince's lips were moving, whispering a secret name. Cain's hand closed over his. I'm here, Endymion. Do you hear me? I'm right here. Blue eyes flickered, searching. Cain pulled him onto his back, pressed a palm to his cheek to tilt his head up. Look at me. Do you see me? I'm here, my prince. His eyes were glassy and unfocused as he blinked up at his guardian. How much energy had he poured into that little stone before Cain heard him? Kunzite. I'm here. Cain squeezed his hand, despite the sharp pull of the stone closed inside it. You can stop calling now. I... I needed to... tell you... Give me this, please. You can stop calling. Can't go. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here beside you. Spots were still dancing before Kane's eyes as he took a steadying breath and willed his elbows and knees to continue to hold him up off the floor. I'm not leaving you, Endymion. Do you hear me? Not ever. Just as suddenly as it had begun, the tugging of his prince's call began to fade. Momoru's hand fell limp on his chest, and Kane carefully retrieved the stone from between his fingers. You don't need this anymore. You can rest now. Momoru squinted up at him, fighting to stay conscious, even as his words dissolved into a barely comprehensible mumble. A lot of things didn't... different. I, I should... He trailed off, eyes disappearing be behind thick black lashes. Kane sank to the floor beside him, taking deep breaths, waiting for the floor to stop swaying beneath him. 
A soul transference to speak to his prince had always left him feeling weak and nauseous, and like his head was going to split in half, even before it went from uncomfortable to dangerous to try it. Even the close br brush with it now left him feeling shakier than he would dare reveal in front of his prince, even a prince who was not entirely lucid at the time. He lay for a long time, watching the rise and fall of Endymion's chest, memorizing the new face he wore in this life, the way that his hair fell messily over his eyes, contrary to the rigidly short style it had been kept in the past. He had not yet allowed himself to feel anything at his return. A lifetime was a long time to wait for one man. Maybe it would be another lifetime before he knew how to do anything else. He squeezed the stone in his hand, still warm from Endymion's. I told you, on that last day that you called me not to call any more, that the next time we saw each other everything would change. You didn't listen to that, did you? His other hand was close to Endymion's, just centimeters from touching. Something held him back from closing the distance. My stubborn prince, you never listen. The pleasantly lit room emerged from darkness and the smell of cold metal as the breastplate slid over his head. It had a familiar weight, alerting his senses to be battle-ready. But there was no battle impending, not unless he failed spectacularly at his task. Only the dreary negotiations of inter-kingdom economics, that the formal dress of his kingdom was synonymous with battle clothing, was telling. Do you think they'll accept me? Kunzite fastened his breastplate snugly into place. Venusians are famously lax in their etiquette, but refusing the queen's heir when he speaks on her behalf would be a breach not even they would cross. They may, in fact, consider an advantage to deal with you in place of your mother. Kunzite began fixing his left pauldron in place. Beastly shoulder guards that made him look much larger in stature. In the mirror, he could see intricately etched silver, the way it glinted the same as Kunzite's hair. Why would they? It's no secret that this'll be my first time negotiating in my mother's place. Will they not see that as an insult, to be treated as my first trial? Kunzite tightened the second pauldron on his shoulder. The followers of Aphrodite consider themselves a progressive people. They wish to move beyond what they consider archaic ways of doing things. They may view your involvement as a means of achieving this. Your youth could be an asset in this visit. Endymion fidgeted with the cuffs of his uniform. It was not like him to show his nervousness. It had long been trained out of him. But he knew very well what a renewed alliance with Venus would mean for the future of his kingdom. The first steps, the first step toward forming his ties with the other planets. The first step toward building up the kingdom that would one day be his into something greater. He was going in with much to prove to his own people as much as to the people of Venus. Kunzite picked up his sword belt, forcing him to leave the cuffs alone while he lifted his arms out of the way. His guardian's arms wound easily around his waist, unlike the servant boys who was sometimes sent to dress him for battle. Kunzite stood before him as he tightened the leather to the appropriate notch, still towering over him, despite how many inches Endymion had grown in the previous year. He glanced up, a glint of silver eyes behind silver hair, and his stern face softened slightly. You know this. You have prepared extensively. This is no different from a test in the classroom. 
I know. He stared at Kunzite's shoulder, the way the earth-brown cape folded over his uniform, as anxiety balled in his gut. Just remember your training, and try not to stare. The prince laughed suddenly, remembering a particular book that Nephrite had acquired through mysterious means. I'm already familiar with the Venusian way of dressing. <laughs> Kunzite's eyes sparkled. I suspected as much. Do your best not to relate anything that Nephrite may have impressed upon you. I don't think it would be enough to start a war, but all the same, it would not befit your position to get yourself slapped on the first meeting. He was still laughing when the door to the chamber opened, and the voice of the steward called him. Your Highness, they're ready for you. His features settled into an impassive mask, honed through years of practice, as he stood before the doorway. Kunzite's hand brushed the, side of his el the inside of his elbow, reminding him that he stood just behind him. I am still here, he said softly. You will not be in there alone. Remember that. Something jolted him awake, though he felt like he had just emerged from a very deep sleep. The dream still clung to his mind as he tried to make sense of the ceiling above him, and why it seemed to be aligned wrong. Then he remembered that he was in a small freshman dorm at Harvard instead of an airy Tokyo penthouse, and certainly not wherever that place in his dream was. What a vivid dream that had been, too. He had known the names of things that he had no business knowing about, and remembered details about a life and a world that had never granted him access before, even the easy, uncomplicated way that he spoke to... Kunzite! Momoru sat up in alarm, trying to clear the fog from his head. In a chair at the foot of his bed, a figure reclined by the window, moonlight glinting in his silver hair. His face was exactly how he had dreamed, exactly how he remembered from the greatly missed conversations with the phantom who used to emerge from his stone. But now the figure turned, and the vision cleared, and Momoru saw that it was not his guardian all. He was too guardian at all. He was too ordinary, too real. Kane? Feeling better? he asked in Kiwi-accented English instead of the deep-voiced Japanese that Kunzite's ghost had always used. Momoru rubbed his eyes, trying to shake off the sleep and confusion and the feeling that something was not quite right. What are you doing here? I thought, didn't you go home? I came to check on you. You weren't answering yourself. Something about this situation did not feel right. But Cain had never seemed like a threat to him, not from the moment they had met. Something made him dearly want to trust him, if for no reason other than because he was miles and lifetimes away from everybody he had trusted in the past. And how did he get in, anyway? Mamoru tried to remember whether Cain had given back his keys, after opening the door for him. Once, he had brushed Cain's arm with his hand, just in passing, not with any intent in mind. Normally, he would have expected some kind of feedback, a breath of emotion, a half-finished sketch of his thoughts, even colors or snatches of music. Normal people triggered his psychometry as readily as they demonstrated their emotions on their faces. But Kane gave him nothing, radiostatic. He might as well have been a ghost. At the time, Momoru had dismissed the incident. After all, psychometry could be unreliable sometimes. He didn't know why he thought of that now. Kane had gone back to staring out the window. He seemed distracted somehow. He was rolling something around in his fingers. Something Momoru could not see. Is something wrong? 
It wasn't the first attack, was it? I... what? The monster. It wasn't the first one. He glanced again at Mamoru, who was at a loss for a response. Kane returned to the window. They must swarm on you like flies. I'm sure you wouldn't have noticed, not until you moved out of Tokyo. He flipped the object easily between his fingers, his drummer's hand carelessly in control of its movement. They don't normally take form. They are normally just scavengers, feeding off of whatever excess energy they can find. But then you come along, and maybe they just feel threatened. Ice began to clench around Mamoru's gut. Hadn't it seemed strange that Kane accepted his powers so easily? Hadn't it always seemed like Kane knew something secret? That attack, it shouldn't have happened. We should have been watching for it. But you went and made me doubt my judgment because you're so much better at hiding yourself than I gave you credit for. Even when it attacked, I thought it couldn't have been after you. It could have been ser it could have seriously hurt you when you went running in without using your powers, but you didn't even flinch. You wouldn't have revealed yourself at all unless you thought others were in danger, would you? How long were you planning on letting your eyes burn? Mamura's voice was barely a croak. Until you weren't paying attention. Kane's mouth twitched. I thought so. You're that stubborn. If the white-haired man, whoever he was, whatever he was, who seemed to know so much more than he should have, had wanted to hurt Mamoru, he already had ample opportunity, but that did not stop Mamoru from mapping out an escape route. Kane had the window blocked, but the door was not too far, and Mamoru was fast. He watched the door in his peripheral vision as he studied Kane's movement and the rhythmic way that he rolled the small object between his fingers. Kane, who are you? Kane looked at him, the light from the window glinting in one eye. I think you know, on some level. I think, you'd I think you figured out from the moment you met us. But it's scary, isn't it? Because what if you're wrong? Mamura's voice was barely a whisper. The walls of his too small room felt like they were pressing in closer than ever. I don't know what you're talking about. You just don't want to be disappointed again, do you? He wanted to bolt for the door, just get up and run, no matter how irrational it seemed. Kane knew too much, about him, about everything. Nobody slipped so easily past Moore's defenses. Kane seemed to sense his alarm. The object in his hand stopped moving. Momura wished he could see his face more clearly through the darkness, but Kane had always been nearly unreadable to him, even in the light. I'm sorry. Why? Slowly, as if approaching a startled animal, Kane rose from the chair and approached Momura's side. Kneeling beside the bed, he took Momura's hand in his strong grip and pushed the object into his palm. For a moment, he didn't know why it felt so achingly familiar. The glassy surface, surface that always felt a bit cool to the touch, the sharp edges pressing against his skin. But then he felt the faint power coiled inside, the breath of chill air raising goosebumps on his skin, the smell of ice, that sliver of power that had grown so faint in recent months he had almost forgotten the feel of arctic air settling around him, comfortingly dark and silent, whenever he held the piece of kunzite. But now he could sense it stronger than ever, growing. A puff of his breath billowed in the faint beam from the streetlights outside for only a moment, 
before the window vanished behind a curtain of shadow. In the darkness, snowflakes as soft as fingerprints alighted on his skin. Momoru heard his breath shake, but not from the cold. This power was not from the stone he clenched in his palm. It was from the hand that still wrapped around his. Kane's voice emerged from the blackness. For every time I did not answer when you called. For every day I was not there. For every betrayal. I'm sorry. Mumuru never shed a tear in the presence of anyone. But under the curtain of darkness, where he could see nothing, only feel the whisper of ice crystals on his skin, he felt safe. <laughs>